Chaz, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Great. So first off, talk to me about Nexigy. Would you call that your day job? I know you've got a few things going on. <laughs> so I would say Nexigy encompasses what I do and what I'm good at. And our services really are fractional CFO, chief financial officer services. My background is in accounting and finance. And there's a, there's a whole industry of CFOs in there, both full-time and fractional. I, while I own a, cu a couple other businesses where I serve as their CFO, um, serving as a uh, chief financial officer, it, it's really kind of a, an educational process because everyone leans right into, oh, you're our accountant. You're going to get right into our books. You're going to sit in a QuickBooks. I or, laugh because I would think of that as more of a controller function. Well, it is, <laughs> but you, you get yeah, it. Yeah, a yeah. lot of companies don't. And, and not only that, you know, accountants, they get, there's a stereotype for them. And I, I also work, uh, I partner with engineers. There's a stereotype for engineers as well. And the stereotypes are usually dead on. You know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're both socially awkward. We love numbers. How dare you? I'm an engineer by trade, but I was an accounting major in undergrad, although I never got a CPA. And you're dissing both of my professions, it, man. Exactly. <laughs> but, but think about when you tell people that, the look on their face. And, and I'm, I'm going to bet, John, they're like, well, you're not like most engineers or accountants yeah. I've met before. <laughs> I'm not like most people, but probably not in a good way. But yes, you're right. right. I, I don't strike you as an accountant or an engineer. Typically, right. But I know the stereotypes that you're talking about on, on, on both of them. Yeah, and, and it's <laughs> it, there's a lot of foundational work, both in engineering and accounting and any trade for that, that you <laughs> learn how the system works. You learn the basic concepts. You learn how to apply them. And over time, when people want those C-suite executives, it's those concepts that are how they're applied and executed over and over. And honestly, by business leaders who failed several times, mm -hmm. who've had some success and actually understand how to make an impact with the decisions they make. Yep. So as I built out a practice based on whether it was businesses I've owned or with the clients I work with, I really like to say, listen, a real CFO is going to be somebody in your leadership team, on your management team, in there in the boardroom working on the strategy of the company. How do we drive this company to get it to where our, our preferred destination is? And as we do that, the CFO should stay in their lane and really focus on accounting, finance, and maybe to some degree operations. And even though they stay in their lane, the C-suite needs to not only stay in their lane, but they also need to know how they impact the other areas. Mm -hmm. we, 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 are in a area or a society where everybody gets really good at one thing to such a niche and they they focus on that but they can't connect what they're doing with the the, the bigger picture and that's where your c-suite you know fractional cfo your full-time cfo and all your ceos coos ctos I, I think you make a very interesting point there and i've, I've talked about this with with people uh before it's funny because my role is generally a little bit more geared towards sales and most of the things that I do these days. I'm generally pretty customer facing, but it's funny because um, finance in particular and uh, legal uh, as well, oftentimes become the first touch point beyond the sales team. So the sales team is going out and prospecting, right? And then you're hopefully signing a contract and statements of work and work orders. But that quickly becomes finance's job to work out, okay, let me review the contract and make sure that it works. And can so we they, make money? Can yeah. we make money on it? Right. And, and they become very customer focused. And the good 
CFOs and the teams that they build, not that the CFOs are typically working on these contracts and talking to the customers, but somebody from the CFOs team is same thing with legal, right? We're going back and forth working on legal issues. That is, that is customer facing and the cust and it's part of the customer experience. And so a good CFO or a good general counsel, in my experience, will think about the big picture, not just how do I reduce risk? How do I make sure that financially this is structured the right, right way? But how do I partner with this client? Because I am part of the sales team at that point. Right, because on sales, the way we incentivize our sales team, it's always to the next deal, to the next deal, to the next deal. And if it's not evaluated that all of those deals line up, that it could create problems. So there, there really should be, and you know, the, the personality type of your sales manager and your accounting manager are always gonna be night and day. Sure. But uh, that collaboration really is where value can be created and, sure. and, and drive the company. And, and ultimately, when you think about the treasury function and actually getting paid, that's tied inherently to your customer success. It's tied to your sales where everybody is aligned, right? Like we're not going to collect unless they have a good customer experience and in, unless they're invoiced properly and unless we, we submit through Ariba correctly or whatever the right. system is, everything kind of has to work together. Right. Um, and when you're selling, you're selling not only your product or your service, you're selling your system. Mm-hmm. So sales might be the first point of contact with a potential client, but then it goes through, it'll go through the production team, it'll go through the services team. And the last thing that that customer is going to get is an invoice. And John, how many times have you dealt with a company that has provided quality service and they've done everything you've wanted and you get like a PDF of a hand-drawn invoice <laughs> or uh, uh, my favorite is the Word document template. And, and here's the thing, technically it is correct, but it really should tie a bow on everything you've just provided to them. That's part of the package. I, I couldn't agree more. I, and I'm my, my, my uh, tailor who makes suits for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, I and, and I buy suits for for coworkers and that sort of thing at, at, at times. And so, so before COVID, when everybody was dressing up and going to the office, I'm pretty active with him, and he does great work. But it would, I, I wouldn't know when I would get an invoice. I might not get an invoice, and it's fine. Okay, great. I, I'm I'm aging my payables. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it everything else about the customer experience is wonderful but then i want i have to, i feel like i have to audit every single time i get an invoice and i've right. said something to him before i've been like why don't you you know wh- why don't you fix this and he's gotten he's certainly gotten better about it but i do think that 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 part of the customer experience is important because if you don't have for me personally i think people who take care of the little things well take care of the big things well too right. and if you can't take care of what i th- think or the little things, right? then how do I know that you're not, you know, how, how do I know that you can, can be trusted to do them all? Uh, so. Right. Yeah. And even that, that little bit at the tail end, you know, nobody likes asking anyone for money, but yeah. it's why we're doing what yeah. we're doing. You want to make it clear. You want every question that your, your customer or client may have to be addressed in that final billing, in that final statement of work. Yep. So make it clear. So it's, we're always looking for a better deal. We're always wondering if somebody's trying to add something or sneak something in. Make it clear. Great businesses that execute well, there's nothing hidden. They, they literally will tell you this is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you proof of it over and over again. 
Yeah. Now, one, one example of what I think was a well-run business was back in the early 2000s. Um, there's a company called MicroStrategy. Are you familiar? I'm not familiar. Uh, the business intelligence company, uh, one of the high flyers during the dot-com boom. Uh, they're based out of D.C. Uh, great success story, but they, they had some accounting irregularities that they reported that literally precipitated the dot-com crash. Um, if, if you look it up, and I'll even link in the show notes to this, but in March of 2000, they reported accounting irregularities that they found during an audit, and it, it caused their stock and a million others to just all start to collapse. And they ended up going into bankruptcy protection. And I remember I have a friend who's a CFO at an engineering firm in the D.C. area, and they had helped build MicroStrategy's new office. And he called and said, look, uh, um, I, I don't, you know, you owe us a bunch of money. You're well past due. I can read the newspapers. I just need to know. I, I, I'm going to write this off. Can you just confirm that you're not going to pay? Right. And and this is where I get to the part about being a well-run business. Yeah. The, the the lady said, "Look, you can. Re I know what you're reading in the newspapers. I want to point out this is a restructuring. And Mr. Saylor, who is the founder and CEO, has instructed us that everybody is getting paid. Really? <laughs> she said, "You you can write off whatever you need to write off, but I want you to understand it may be a year, but we are going to pay every one of you off. And that is a nice touch when you right. hear that. That's reassuring. And they did. They they yeah. followed through, and, and and they did it. So I think that." Um, you know, like you said, well-run companies who have a process and are proactive and they're transparent with you and explain that even in a bad situation like that, you, the transparency is very, is, is very helpful. Think about how many times you've had a customer who isn't paying you and they hide from you. Right. Oh, <laughs> I know. It's, and I, I, it's weird, you know, on the consulting side, I've, I've had that very little, but on the engineering side where we, the volume of invoices, they're smaller invoices, but a lot. Yeah, people will just hide, you know, change yeah. email addresses. <laughs> I mean, it's it. I feel like they're working harder than to just pay an invoice. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And what are people going to do? You you tell them, yeah, I'm not paying you right now, and I don't know when. Times right. times are tough right now. Yeah. Or in bigger companies' cases, you know, when you work for Fortune 500 companies, sometimes it's just part of the game. Sometimes they're managing cash flow, and right. as long as they're transparent and say, look. You guys did the work fine. It's going to be two months before you get paid. Sorry, yeah. like that. Then I have. Then I don't have to keep calling you. I can put a reminder. Right. Exactly. <laughs> on my calendar. So are the are those. So first of all, I guess, do you you, you mentioned that you wanted you're doing CFO for hire, but the, it sounds like you get pulled into some of these bookkeeping discussions. Do a lot of people try to get you to do bookkeeping? Then it, they do. Okay. And um, here's the thing: um, bookkeepers are very undervalued and sometimes underqualified. So <laughs> we all hear like, oh, I'm gonna find somebody that's retired that'll just do this for 10 hours a week, or um, they've kept books in the, in the past, but they really don't do any qualifications for that. So number one, there's no system set up. So bookkeeping <laughs> of just entering and you know paying bills and stuff, it kind of gets things done, but it really doesn't set up a structure of how you can actually measure any of the metrics of success. So yes, QuickBooks or Zero or any of those applications mm -hmm. for small businesses will allow you to run a canned, you know, profit and loss statement or a balance statement. But people don't capture the information of like, hey, do I want to know how much each project costs, how much each product line is is profiting for us? Like mm -hmm. they don't break all the information out from there. So first off, that system has to be developed for the bookkeeper. 
expecting a bookkeeper who just knows the tra how to run transactions, it's unfair to them. And it's a, lo a lot of time outside of their scope on how to set that up. And it, funny enough, they'll take all these training classes and they'll know all the technical aspects on how to set it up and do it. But they don't understand the flow of business of what are we going to do this? Are we going to do it by business line, product line? Are we going to go down to an inventory level? When do we actually start measuring inventory? Sometimes it's not even worth it to measure inventory because it comes in, it goes out just as quick. You, you get it right in your cogs immediately. Mm -hmm. But you need somebody there that has some experience that can say to literally help define those rules and the laws. When you're not even talking about more advanced discussions like LIFO versus FIFO or how I reconcile exactly. from one to the other for tax purposes, right. we're talking just the basics of how, how does it flow in the cost of goods Exactly. Yeah. I'll be honest, I, I've worked with other CFOs that have 20 years experience. And I, I like to start with John's our sales guy, he's talking to a customer and they close the deal. I like to walk through how that customer goes through the entire cycle and usually ends up going out through accounting and collections to understand what needs to be collected all the way. So number one, accounting can be successful. So operations can be successful and sales can be successful. And there are so many CFOs that are like, oh, we can just invoice them. Like they don't <laughs> look at the contract They, you know, it really is uh, very transactional and nothing fits in, in the, pure process of the company. I've talked to some great product designers and they always, it, it's funny because you talk about the accounting and finance and kind of the stereotypes there, but the, your, the, the, the view you're describing is, is exactly the way that the best product designers think about things. It's what is the customer journey? Exactly. <laughs> and, and you're talking about the exact same thing and it really is part of the product. It's part of the customer yeah. experience. You know, and it's, it's kind of an exercise I did with myself um, when I was trying to figure out what the next steps were for me as a, uh, as a service provider, as a fractional CFO, and as I started bringing on more CFOs over the past year, and I was like, what do I, what do I offer, you know? And, you know, I throw out there right off the bat, fractional CFO, but I, was, I, I really had to do a deep dive, like, what do I do well? Like, what do my clients come back to say to me that get what I do? What do they say that make me feel really good? Like, because as much as we want to make money off of this, we also want to do a good job. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's one of those things that I really had to do a deep dive. And I just, it took months and months. And, and uh, there, there was a, a friend of mine that eventually became a client. He, he's, he said, I've known you for a year now. I still don't know what you do. <laughs> and I, you know, I just said, well, see if, you know, I kind of told him even more elementary what a CFO does that we talked about before. And uh, he's like, but what do you do? I said, he goes, what do you do when you do it best? I said, I help management teams and owners make more money and figure out how they can work less to do so. And he's like, I get that. Mm -hmm. Literally three months later, he's like, I got a project for you, you know? Okay, that's awesome. And so I started, you know, I, I was like, wow, that was, you know, it wasn't insightful, but it really kind of helped pivot, not even pivot, just turn what I was actually selling. I'm not selling mm -hmm. accounting. And then I started thinking about what do I like? And I love when my clients say, I love knowing that I can run any idea by you whenever. Like, I like knowing that you're part of my brain trust with the rest of my team. And I was like, ooh, that's, an that's another thing, you know. <laughs> and as it all said is said and done is what I'm selling is a spot on the leadership team. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna operate in your company as if I'm an owner, 
not if I'm working in the company, but what you're going to do to make sure I get a return on my investment. And from there, especially with, you know, owner run companies, it, it creates this whole other dynamic where we got to start slicing the onion to define roles, define expectations, because sometimes an owner's biggest enemy in the company is themselves as the operator. Often. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and myself has been included in that yeah. as well. And, and, and sometimes they're a great operator, but they're doing it at the, at the expense of the owner, which is also themselves. So it's really, mm -hmm. really drawing those lines. Yeah. That's really cool. So, so I gather that you, you prefer to put the systems in place. You, you go look at the business process and say, yeah. okay, let me help you or let me create these systems for you. And that's more of what you think of as a fractional CFO or part of the, the management team. But the bookkeeping is such an important part of it, the actual execution of it. Did they try to pull you into that as well? Or um, They have tried to pull me. I'll be honest. You, I'm sure your experience is this. Uh, when I started doing this 14, 15 years ago, I'd do anything like, you know, it, it was, you know, I'll mow your lawn that we, that's something else we provide. <laughs> car wash. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I did do it and, and it was, I'll be honest. There are even times to this day. I'm like, you know, sometimes that's just great work because you turn your brain off, you just sit down and you key it that's in. That's what programming day. is for me at this point. Yeah. I can turn my brain, not to say it's easy, but it's, right. it, it's a much more formulaic thing that yeah. I can do. I don't have to make nearly as many decisions with so many unknown variables exactly no and, and it's, it's just you at yep. that point there's no outside noise so i there was a point that i did do it honestly eight nine years ago I, I said no and we you know we would always hire them a bookkeeper find an outside bookkeeping company um i'm going to be honest there there is an opportunity out there mm -hmm. and and i've actually found a bookkeeping company that i've partnered with that i bring in that i trust i know their systems they know my systems but there's such a shortage of bookkeepers both in profession and temporary that uh are qualified to, to work for these companies and why, why do you think that is is it is it partially because the quickbooks and the zeros and the fresh books and all these other software solutions have made part of it so much easier that people just think there isn't a need for humans to understand it or is it something else? It's, it's the way it's sold. It's mm -hmm. sold that it's so accessible that anybody can do it. And the thing is, is they can operate the program fine, you know, cause the program will say, we won't let you do this. It still doesn't, you know, it, no, you work in databases, right? Mm -hmm. You can get the data in there. Does that always mean it's clean data? I mean, it, yeah. you've got to build restrictions. You've got to build, build rules and process. All of those programs are great tools, you know, but you've got to use the tools to build the structure you want. Yeah. And I, I think I don't blame those software packages, but I think it's given a lot of people confidence. And even some of the training that's offered out there to say, hey, now you can be certified in this program is very overstated. I think yeah. it, it puts people that are underqualified to run your cash flow or be even be involved in the cash flow. Um, in, it puts them in a in, in a level that they're just not qualified for. Yeah, there's there's a very good analog in the um, in the world of software development or application development. So there's a hot. And I won't even call it new. They've been around for decades, but very recently there've been IPOs and exits and mergers and big investment in a space called no and low code. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that you can take things that um, you, you like you can take a business user is, is the promise of these things who can put together a series of pictures and diagrams and requirements 
And then because a lot of the code that you do that is created is pretty boilerplate and generic, you can, it, it just generates the code for you. Yeah. And, and the tools are great. They've raised a lot of money. Again, they're Appian um, IPO'd a few years ago. Um, but the reality is you still need developers working on it. The right. developers spend less time on the tedium of the, you know, some of the nuts and bolts of what's going on, but you still need people who know right. how to operate. It's the, a tool, it's not a replacement. Exactly, right. exactly. And, and I think in general, not that people are calling these things AI tools, but I think AI is a term that gets overused um, in a sense. It, I like the way that companies like Stratified and Prion uh, are, are they talk about augmented intelligence, these yeah. things augment. And again, we're not, not that we're saying QuickBooks or Appian is, is an AI, but it, they're tools that augment the humans. That's, that's right. what these things are. And it yeah. makes everything very intuitive, which is helpful. It yeah. really is. But that there's gotta be a base level of education sure. in order to do that. Sure. And then when you get into tax ramifications and classifications, right. it's yeah, the tool can, you can create a rule, but if you don't understand, yeah, <laughs> what the is this a fifty percent meal that I write off, or is this one that I can write a hundred percent off? Right. Like I, the, the the tool can't decide that for you. Well, it's funny you mention that because the you know where the tool is is one of the biggest mistakes I see with companies of all sizes. And when I say all sizes, from startup all the way to fifty to seventy five million dollars, is their books were set up by their tax accountant. Mm. which creates a great tax basis when it's tax preparation time. The, you know, it's, it's much less work to prepare the taxes, but the owners have so much trouble being able to dive into the information to make managerial decisions. And of course, financial uh, accounting is all about balance sheet income statement. Let's show our investors that we're providing a return yep. on your investment. Again, you could look at any of those financial statements for fortune 500 companies but still not know how their business runs. And I spent a lot of time in the managerial accounting realm where we're going to, we're going to build a system that will serve both of them, but will first and foremost allow the us leader, to optimize the you, business. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Make, make a contribution margin, learn how to, to get the biggest, you know, um, biggest return on our investment in our assets, mm -hmm. which may be people, maybe inventory, et cetera. And it's interesting because so, so when I think of accounting, I think of managerial accounting or, you know, support the operations. I think of financial reporting, which is gap or whatever right. type of report. If you're not a publicly traded company, maybe you're doing something approximating right. gap. And, and then there's tax accounting. Right. And what you're saying is that tax usually ends up leading, even though in my mind, the managerial accounting is the most right. important. Right. Well, and that's the thing, because once people, you know, they want a when they they are looking for accounting help, they go straight to a CPA. It is usually, you know. And they're thinking about audit, right? Right, or, they're thinking yeah. tax or audit, <laughs> yep. and there, there's really not any expertise on how to run the business. And people are like, oh, so tax accountants aren't worth it? No, they're worth a ton. I pay a tax accountant to do my taxes, and I'm an accountant. Yeah. So <laughs> I just, I, I don't, you know, uh, I don't devalue them, but everybody has a different role. Um, I actually, I, I, I had written a book last year about this and I, I talked about the differences in account. What's the name of the book? I'll uh, link to it in uh, the show notes. Um, how much does it cost to make a donut? Uh, okay. I figured that would right. be it. <laughs> and, uh, other questions that make us hate accounting and, and it's because of things like this. So I, I liken it to, uh, engineering and accounting, um, with engineering, there's 
many different disciplines. Um, there's electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, civil engineering, chemical, chemical I mean, yeah. computer. I mean, yeah. it goes on <laughs> and on. With accounting, especially the CPA, you take you take the 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 exam in auditing, tax, financial, and everything, and you got to pass all of them to get your CPA, and it makes you qualified to be an accountant across any of those fields. Well, in engineering, you don't somebody doesn't get their professional engineering and chemical, and you're like, oh yeah, can you also come do this electrical? Like they, that's a great analog. Yeah, I mean, analogy, it, yeah. the professional boards really on the engineering side really just say this is what you're certified in and this is what you're good at where accounting is so broad you have a lot of cpas out there just saying oh i can do an audit i can do this and and i get asked you know by clients like hey can you can you write and sign off on this type of letter or this and i said no my my independence is you know is um impeded by some of the decisions we talk about so let's get somebody else to do that let's mm -hmm. get somebody better let's get somebody better to do your taxes <laughs> so are there generalist cpas and then specialist cpas is that normally what what ends up happening or well in uh, in our profession profession i gotta say more on a corporate level generalist has become a really bad word for mm -hmm. some reason that goes back to where we started where everybody gets super good at one one little niche but can't put all the pieces together. The generalists are really the ones leading their business. They they don't know a whole lot about one little thing. They know a little bit about many different things. And it, it's it's getting easier for me now after, you know, a lot more gray hairs <laughs> that uh, to build that credibility, but it it takes um, it takes knowing a whole lot about a little bit about a whole lot to understand how a whole system will work. I agree, and I think that applies in most disciplines. I'll, I'll take a jack of all trades, master of none, leading the team anytime right. over somebody who just has one area of expertise. It doesn't mean you don't need the experts. You, you exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's yeah. the thing. I, I, I mean, there hasn't been a company I've been a part of that I'm like, what do I not know that I need? That's our first hire. And it, it really makes it that, that much easier. And, there, you know, when you find that qualified person, you've got to bring them in and say, okay, I know nothing about this. I need it right now. Execute on it, and I'll make I'll make it valuable to the corporation as a whole. Yep, awesome. So, how did you start Nexigy? So uh, I started Nexigy um, probably six months after I started up an engineering company. Mm -hmm. So, um, and is the engineering company intelligent intelligent design engineering? Yes, it is. Okay, we'll come back to that in a second. For sure. So, um, well, oddly enough, uh, I left a company. Um, after helping their management team build it up from like a million to 25 million in the mid 2000s. And I left that company. I thought I was going to take some time off. And one of the board of directors who was their head engineer said, Hey, if you're not going to be here, I don't want to be here either. Start up an engineering firm and I'll just go be an engineer and you know, you can run the business. So a week later, two other engineers left and said, hey, we want to come work for you guys too. So we started up Intelligent Design Engineering in 2007-ish. And I'm an accountant. I, I, the first thing I'm going to tell anybody is like, never start your own business. The risk is too high. The reward probably isn't there. You know, the likelihood of it succeeding. I'm glad to see you follow your own advice. Exactly. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite because <laughs> I've done it, you know, several times. And it was one of those things that it's the curse though, is that Within six months, we made all our money back. We were profitable. And, you know, you're kind of like, well, I'm good at this, yeah. you know. Now, was this engineering services? It was or? engineering services, re structural residential engineering services. So we um, we start this company. Everything's great. And I said, excellent, guys. You know, 
we're, we're this small boutique firm, you know, we're at half a million dollars a year in revenue after a year. Um, let's grow this. And they, my partners, typical engineers were like, that's great. Uh, we don't want to do any sales. We don't want to do any marketing. We don't want to do any managing. We don't want to do any hiring. We don't want to <laughs> do any training. And I'm like, well, then there's nothing left, you know, and, and I can't do any of this stuff. And I was very, I still to this day, am very uncomfortable with sales. So I said, well, why don't we do this? Why don't you keep, I'll still work here, but only part-time. There's not enough work for me to just be here and collect a paycheck. I said, let's cut my pay and let me go do what I did for you guys for other companies. Mm -hmm. And I literally, that's the whole concept of how I got in, started Nexigy was just, uh, I was successful once with it. I would go help other companies find, you know, whether it was operational efficiencies, whether it was restructuring, whether it was building and executing on their strategy. I spent time, you know, uh, with, you know, companies. And early on, it was companies from one to $10 million. Wow. Wow. And how has that changed over time? So um, oddly enough, in the middle of all that, I did get involved where I actually was the C CEO of a um, medical device company. So, you know, I was, wasn't, working as a CFO as much for other clients besides intelligent design. And that, that company, you know, ran its course and I continued the practice and it just continued to grow and grow to where about three years ago, I realized I need to bring in more CFOs. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, it, the whole thing was like, I want to find other CFOs that are like me that do what I do. Well, I don't want, I don't want somebody that goes in with an Excel spreadsheet and it's like the number says this and this is what you do. Like you need to really be a collaborator collaborator. And as I, I built the practice up, you know, to, you know, uh, larger companies as well, I couldn't find out what I wanted that, that I liked about the way I, I handled it. And really the big piece was, is the better CFOs I met were people that had a really good background in it Mm -hmm. uh, process flow. So they understood accounting, but they knew, okay, you know, going out to the old flow charts, you know, here's the rectangle data input <laughs> here. This goes to a triangle. Is it yes or is it no? And really could follow the process flow down. Those are the best CFOs I've ever worked with. Mm -hmm. And so then I identified that and I was like, well, you don't find a lot of IT based accountants. And, you know, over the past you know, a couple of years, I found Kathy and Carolina, and I was like, they do exactly what I do to the level I do. And they're very collaborative. Like, mm -hmm. there's, you know, uh, we we always uh, double up on any project with one always being a lead and one being the manager of it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm the manager, sometimes I'm the lead and that manager always is double checking their work and it really strengthens everything that that's we great out. to play multiple roles though because you right. see both sides of it. it's kind of like southwest airlines every right. employee is trained to do every job and right. they never do just one job yeah and, and it's worked out great for some clients i had a manufacturing client that we were going through and we were working through a, a consolidation and kind of prepping up financials to possibly bring on more partners and um you know i, w I was pretty much uh the lead cfo on that while while uh Kathy was the managing and, you know, she checked all my work. And as we got through it, we realized there was an inventory issue, which is where her, she was just very, very strong. And as we realized what our scope of work was changing, she was able to start moving into that lead ah, CFO role and I was able to back in. And it really kind of gave our client like the best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. So. 
Yeah, I, I could see that. So, so how many is it? The three you're the three CFOs on the team still yes. at this point. Yes, got it. So we we have other outside sources we use, but I, I, to be honest, Kathy and Caroline are the two that I, you know, I, I I've leaned on and trusted to where I'm like, okay, I'm bringing you under, yeah. and then we have outside. We we use a, a company Kaha Holdings for bookkeeping services and controller stuff, and um, it's just been a it's it's been a great collaboration because. You know, sometimes that first partner you bring in, sometimes that first major hire, it's it, it can bring you know butterflies in your stomach, like and not in a good way. Yep. This is one that just happened, and I was like, great decision, no no issues with this whatsoever. So how do you how do you think about scalability? You've obviously been able to bring Kathy and Carolina on. Yes. Um, do you? It, they're hard to find maybe diamonds in the right. rough. Yeah. <laughs> Do, is, does that limit the scalability or is there another way to scale this with people of lesser skills than those two? Or how, how, do, how do you go about that process in there, your mind? There is some scalability on that piece. We It's it's weird you mention that because uh, this has happened with a couple other companies. Actually, the engineering company, we're talking about it as well. But when we, we talk about the cloning, like how do we clone casts and Caroline, I'm sure you're at a point like, when do I clone John so I can have another one? But nobody else wants more than one of me yeah. in this company. Trust right. me, Cass. But, 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 the, but the things you do well, sure, it, it would sure. be like, you know what? I wish that I could find someone that did that so yeah. I could move on to these things. And I really feel that our scalability may end up turning into more of a instructional educational platform for C-level Interesting. That's always managers. a good way to scale if you can yeah. train the trainer, as they say. Yeah. And the problem is, is when you go to, you know, a lot of C, C-suite and even, you know, the, the level right under it, there's a lot of ego. Mm-hmm. And you, there's got to be a thirst to be better at what you do, to understand what you do, to get better. And, you know, people love accountants because there's a one guided set of rules. You know, we, we stay with, we, you know, we're always within the box and that's what we're good at. But there's still ways to do things better in there. And that those incremental changes, people resist. I, they they don't want to do them. They don't want to interact. And I, I've, I've worked with other managers on management teams that they're like, I just want to do what I do really well and not worry about the other things. And, and it's not the greatest answer, but we're like, okay, if you want to be strong at your job, what do you need to get from the other people in here? And we need to make sure they're on your page right now. So let's make sure they're feeding you correctly. Mm-hmm. And um, that in and of itself becomes a process flow. Outside of that, this is what we're expecting from you as a CFO. Don't don't just give us financial statements and tell us all the things we've read in our accounting books is what we need to make decisions. We're going to tell you exactly what we want. We're going to tell you what the report looks like how we're gonna do it, and you're gonna execute on that. And they may come back and say, well, then I'll need a few more things here. But that collaboration, you know, uh, it doesn't happen as much. The other piece that I don't know how to train is trust. Mm -hmm. I I mean, trust is um, very big with anything dealing with the money. Mm -hmm. And um, it's weird, I've, I've replaced other CFOs that have gone to the team and said, I see how much money's coming in this company you should pay me more. And I'm like, the answer is you need to go find another job. Yeah. Because that, you know, you should be, if you're not being paid at your market rate or what you're worth, then you should have left before you even had that conversation in the first place. Um, It it always amazes me because I always had the mindset of 
coming up in my career when I worked for other people, I always thought, I don't care if I'm, I don't care how much anybody else is making, literally. I, I had right. no problem hiring somebody that I paid more because they had a skill set. Yeah. But it, it, it always amazes me how some people just can't get over that when they see somebody else making more. They feel like there's some inequity or some right. <laughs> inherent unfairness. And I struggle with that one, whether we share salary data with everybody because I've just seen so much bad behavior around, hey, decisions were made and somebody's in a very different boat than you. Are we overpaying them? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But are you happy with what you're being paid? Yeah. And th this shouldn't change your, your your answer to that, right? It's weird you mention that because I've gotten more to where I'm seeing more companies being more transparent mm -hmm. and the people that have those attitudes kind of just weed themselves out. Wow. That's a that's a very good yeah. point. It's a it's it's a big big risk, but it, and, and it's weird because we all want to be important. We mm -hmm. all want to be valued, whether it's in our relationships, it's in our jobs, it's our community standing, our neighborhoods. But it, it it's important to really not overvalue ourselves <laughs> and undervalue ourselves. You know, mm -hmm. I, I worked with a client a few years ago, and I was there for a, a pretty tough project over the course of a few months. And you know, it was I don't know twenty thirty thousand dollar project that I did for them. And I remember as the invoice came across, one of their their ops people was like, you know, $30,000 for just a couple months of work, you know, like, this is outrageous. What what could they possibly do for, you know, mm -hmm. that much money in such a short period of time? And thank God the owner said, well, remember when they rewrote this one deal and it saved us $1.2 million? <laughs> And let's not be penny wise and pound foolish. Exactly. <laughs> and and the, the ops was like, well, and I was like, I'll take the 1.2 million and you write my invoice off, you know, <laughs> and it, it shut everybody up. But it is like, you know, at the same time, your CFO, we're, we're not revenue drivers. We're not the ones bringing money in, but we still can add value. And, and what this, the hard part is we're going to be adding value through manufacturing, through sales, through all those different pieces. So, um, so, so there's three of you doing fractional services. How many, and, and it's pairs of two, one's a leader, yeah. one's a manager. How many clients can you service at any one time, would, would you say? Or are there certain times of years where it changes? Or No, based on our, 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 average, our, our average engagement and retainer, I, I'd say we could take right around 17 to 20 you know, at any one given time. Now, when it becomes project work, there are sometimes we may disappear for two or three weeks, you know, so we really have to plan with our retainer based customers. But, um, but based on our retainer work, you know, we, we have some that do as little as 10 hours a month and some that do as many as, you know, 30 hours a month. The, we want to get in and get out. So one thing that differs us from a lot of consulting firms is we're not trying to get as many hours as we can out of one place. If there's only two hours of work for us at one place every month and it's going to add value, we'll do that. We'll get out. We, we've had clients offer like, we'd like you to have one office day so we know you're here mm -hmm. every single Tuesday. And it's <laughs> if, if, if there's not eight hours worth of work for us to do, we're not going to just sit there. And we're not going to even just sit there and do other work because you want us to sit there. Uh, we, we all have a mindset like, we want to get this thing done and move on to the next thing. If it requires more of our time to work on your company, we'll be the first ones to say, hey, listen, it's it's not 20 hours a month. It's going to be 30 hours a month based on the complexity of this. We very rarely get any resistance to that yeah. at all. Human behavior is so interesting. I, I'm reminded of a story from a prior, prior, prior life where 
a, a good friend and colleague of mine um, called me. He was staffing up a big project, big consulting project. And uh, I had been raving about this younger guy that was on one of my teams. And he, he brought him onto the team. And he's like, he called me up and my friend and was like, you said that you like this kid. Well, I, I don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, I love him. Like, he said, well, he, you know, I was like, what's he doing wrong? He said, well, he's, he's getting, you know, he, he comes in and he's out at five o'clock every day and he, he goes home and nobody hears from him. Everybody else is working till two in the morning. And I was like, oh, that's terrible. Um, is he getting his, his work done? And he said, oh, he does twice as much as anybody else yeah, on the team. Yeah. And I was like, well, what the fuck are we talking about? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Why isn't he running the department? Yeah. That should be the question. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. And, and I, get, I get the mindset. I, I think in that case, the mindset is it sets a bad example for the rest of the team that needs to be there until 2 a.m. Yeah. I get it. It doesn't mean I agree with it. It's, we should right. be sitting everybody else down and saying, let's work smarter, right. not exactly. harder. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, to be quite honest, it, it's showing a huge uh, issue with management yep. and, and training. And yep. it, it's what what is he either he's the smartest man alive <laughs> or he's figured out something that he could teach all of us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, it's funny. I um, have a very good friend who owns a consulting business and one of the, they hire a lot of college kids yeah. and, and he always asked them, uh, well, he doesn't ask them anymore. It's a 150 person firm. So he's not interviewing everybody right. anymore, but he, he, he always asked and has, has drilled it into everybody. So how many all nighters did you pull in college? And the ones who like to brag about it and do it all the time, don't get hired because yeah. you, you don't manage time well if you're pulling an all-nighter right. <laughs> twice a week. <laughs> no, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, and, and at some point, the, there's diminishing returns. And yeah. oddly enough, I'm the same way with my kids. You know, my kids, you know, they're B students. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, they phone it in. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go to college? You know, and they're like, eh, you know, maybe NC State or I really don't care, I you know. Some are like, oh, I'd like to travel for a couple of years. I'm like, well, let's let's put that on hold for a minute. But, I, I, you know, we've talked about, you know, and when I say B, they're A, B students, but they're not straight A students. Yep. And I'm like, what would it take to be straight A students? They're like, well, I'd have to take this class. I'd have, you know, 16 more hours of homework every week and blah, blah, blah. It's like straight A's important to you. They're like, not really. I just want to get out of high school and go on to college. I'm like, well, then. You're doing it. If you if you want to go to Harvard or any of those things, mm -hmm. then we, we got to talk different. But um, I admire that. I mean, I do too. How many? I mean, God, we're seeing the damage that's done to so many of these kids that are being groomed for Duke and Georgetown, Sanford, and you know, uh, that, that it's breaking them. And they're not all going to get in, and not because they're any less smarter. Or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and the worst part about it is they're doing things because they need to have a checkbox and they're doing yeah. things that they could derive enjoyment from. But when you do something because you're told that you have to do it to try to get into this school, yeah. you're not going to enjoy your volunteer work. You're not going to enjoy the right. debate team or the chess team. You're not going to enjoy football. It becomes a chore. I'd rather people, I'd rather have an A or a B student or even a C student who enjoys what they're doing and has some purpose in life and knows that, Hey, when, when I get done, with this, these things that I'm working on, I'm going to continue doing them, not somebody who runs away from them and, and picks up other habits once they do get in, into those programs. I agree with you fully. Yeah, yeah, I was I was a low B student, and um, I, you know, I got my accounting degree, and I started off with the bank, 
I was told I'd never be able to get a job outside of banking. You know, at 24 years old, I was like, oh my God, did I make a choice out of college that I'm stuck here? Well, a lot of people never achieve escape velocity from the banks, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and then I, I got into a construction engineering real estate development company, was told I'd never get out of that. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, I'm working with manufacturing companies, mm -hmm. a hearing company, uh, um, a digital media company, engineering, like, I gotta be honest, I don't know if there's many industries I haven't touched at this point, and I'm using the same skills and concepts yep. that I used at the bank with them that I was told I could never do outside of the bank. Oh, that that's great. So so with Nexigy, I wanna, um, before we talk a little bit about intelligent design engineering and some of the other things that I know you're working on, um, but can you t talk to me about what's going through the three of your heads as you're starting to plan 2020 in the January, February yeah. timeframe of 2020. What, what were those conversations? What were you thinking about? What were your goals? What were your objectives? Where did you think you were going to come out of 2020? So um, oddly enough, right at those times, I, I, I had worked peripherally with Kathy and Carolina and I just knew what I liked. Like, I, you know, I, it's funny. I, I met with a, a colleague and she was like, well, why don't you hire them? And I was like, can, can you do that? Can I bring them on? You know, I really just didn't even think. It's funny because our mutual friend, Jeff Wanner, just went through this yes. with bringing a partner on, yes. on board. And he, he told the story about it on, on, the, on, on the podcast, which is why I'm laughing that the two of you were going through probably right. a similar uh, Very, very similar. Year. Yeah, I actually <laughs> met with him last uh, month or so, and we were talking about it. I was like, no, I've been there. And, uh, I, you know, I... I so we started having those conversations and we oddly enough through covid need for our types of services really increased mm -hmm. so it was like a we're going to have a whole lot of test concepts in 2020 to decide and by summertime we were like we're going to gear everything up so by the fourth quarter that we're a three-team cfo company mm -hmm. we have a partnership with you know Kaha Holding, which is Carolina owns and sets had set that company up. Oh, it, great! That we're able to really offer all of those services and really, best case, provide accounting leadership for management teams. Um, on not best case, but you know at, at our top level of service, that's what you get. But if you need a full accounting department, we can provide that as well. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Have you thought about, speaking of Jeff, getting into any other things like benefits, 401k, wealth management, those sorts of things? Or It always is shopped across me, but I'll be honest, those are th no different than my taxes. Those are where I'm like, I just want somebody good that'll do it for me. Mm -hmm. So I personally- Hire a mercenary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so at some point, I haven't, but I do feel at some point we could end up, you know, being a part of a, a larger organization that offers, you know, you, you kind of have your entire back office structure for large companies that could be run as a fractional company. So, so COVID, it sounds like actually increased the demand and luckily you were already having conversations to prove that we're going to build some, some scalability in, right. into your business model. Um, yeah. There were several clients that I have that, that I had been working on, not working on, but that, you know, I, they've had proposals for mm -hmm. a while. And for some reason, COVID was a, a sparking point for them to say, you know what, it's time to come in. And some of them were because they were thriving. Some of them were like, things are gonna hurt really bad for the next few months. We really need somebody like you at the helm 
Yeah. And um, I admire those companies who can say things are going to be bad, but it's an opportunity yeah. to, to fix the things that I've known I needed to fix all along. You no, know, yeah. and, and I got to be, and, and it's funny because I also had another client that he was about to cut a third of his workforce and all of these things. His business was up like 40%. I'm like, how are you going to get your, get the work done? And he's like, I don't know. I just got to cut costs. I'm like, you've got to make revenue and you need to make, you know, yeah. you need your margin on these. And he ended up, you know, not laying one person off and, and wow. actually had a really good year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been interesting seeing the businesses that prospered, the others that struggled. There were a couple that weren't able to, to make it to the other side. And that's always unfortunate, but you do wonder were they not going right. to make it to right. the other side anyways, because yeah. let's be honest, businesses fail. Do you service mostly startups or more established companies or is there a mix there? Right now, more established companies. Mm -hmm. I, I, so I, I, when I, again, when I started out 14 years ago, it was anybody, you know, and I did a lot of startup companies, but I spent probably the early first five years with companies that were right around a half a million and built plans on how to get them to a million. And then I found myself in an area where I started building companies from a million to two million, then two to five million, and then the fives to the ten. And it seems like once you hit ten, the difference yeah. between five to ten and five to twenty-five is not that big of a difference. How would you? And this this may be a stupid question, but how would you categorize the difference? Are there common problems that when you go from one to two or two to five or some other size, where you just see the, those things happen? Because in the consulting world. You know, I've, I've started businesses and grown them to, to certain sizes. And I know, for instance, when you hit 20 people, you, you run up against some, some, some right. headwinds and then you hit and then you change things and then everything runs well until you hit 50 and then it's till right. 100. Yeah. Are, are, are there, do you see that in general or is it different by industry or? Well, I see early on just trying to make sure you, you for a million, you're just trying to make sure you're making a margin on everything you do, whether it's services, whether it's a product. And sometimes, you know, with service companies, people don't want to count time. They don't want to count the cost of time. And mm -hmm. you really got to break that down. Um, so before a million, it's really making sure you can get margin. The, the one to two to maybe even $3 million is your investment in people. Are you getting people that can execute and make that margin better or at least increase the volume to, to, and I guess at that point you're having to implement processes because it is, right. it's no longer you and maybe your co-founder. You've got to make them, <laughs> you need to make them re re replicable. Yeah. <laughs> 3 million or two to 3 million going to five is where we need to shell out some money and we're going to invest in infrastructure in, mm -hmm. in infrastructure that may not pay off until we, it might make us break even at 3 million. We won't, you know, but mm -hmm. we'll, the gain will be exponential everything after 3 million. And that's the hard part because then that's a real investment of capital mm -hmm. to and say. it's a risk. If you if you yeah. slow down and you lose that velocity, exactly. you may crash and burn too. <laughs> exactly. So it, it's trying to do that and minimize the risk as much as possible so it's not a uh, throwing money down the drain mm -hmm. point. So, um, and I don't like spending money. You know, it, it, I've got one client that are like, we always come up with great ideas for cast to say no to, you know, but I'm like, <laughs> if I can't see that there's a benefit to it in any level, like I, I, I will say no, I'll even accept the benefits. Like this will just make me happy for a couple months. I'll be like, okay, well, you know, a couple hundred bucks for that's a good investment, but sometimes, you know, everybody's, you know, every, I'm just as guilty. The shiny metal object We you know, we want to chase that at certain times, but I'm like, what will we get out of using that? Will anything get better? I'm, I'm laughing because I'm rewatching Entourage on HBO, mm -hmm. and 
every time Vince buys, I don't know if you've seen the series, yeah. but every time Vince buys a new car or a new, yeah. or a new house or spends some crazy money, the accountant calls it Eric and just screams at him like, what is Vince buying now? Yeah. I'm picturing you being that one. Oh, I, I, I'm that way. And the sad thing is I live my life that way too. And um, it's weird, like little stupid things that, uh, that I, here's the other thing. It caused me to start looking better inward on where I could spend money to get value. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember, you know, five or six years ago when I first started dating my girlfriend, she said, um, I, use, I, pay, I pay $100 a month to Harris Teeter so I can pick my food up in the grocery line. You know, I just order it online. I was like, oh, what a waste of money. And she's like, just do it for, yeah. for a month. I was like, $99 for a whole year? And she's like, just do it. <laughs> I'll be honest. I mean, it was saving me two hours every single week, you know, and I, and wow, I could build that out at a whole, you know, so I started really thinking like, what, what would I need to be paid to do this? And can I find somebody to do it less and faster? And I really, I even started selling myself like this, you know, yeah. I, anything I do for a client, I'm like, here's everything that I would do and need to be done uh, to, in order for this to work for you. And they'll be like, well, now that you told me I can go do it myself, I'm like, Go for it. Mm -hmm. I've got no problem. If you do, show me afterwards. Maybe I'll learn a few things. Yeah. Um, I'm guaranteeing you won't do it. And if you do do it, it's going to take you probably four to five times longer. But even if even if you're better at it than me, I will be the first one to congratulate you. And and I don't say that out of arrogance yeah. or anything. If if you have that skill set inside, take care of it. Just get it done. Yeah. Yeah. No. And. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I tend to put a dollar value on an hour for me. Yeah. And obviously it's a range because right. it's, it's, you can't, it's not something that's black and white, but, but when I look at anything that somebody else wants to do, I, if I, if I know I can do it well, then it, I knew I'm going to compare the amount of time that I'm going to spend in my hourly rate. Right. And I have no problem forking over the money. If yeah. you're going to charge me less than my hourly rate. I do get though, my dad and I always argue, um, cause he likes to change his own oil. <laughs> I will never bother to learn how to change my own yeah. oil, but he actually enjoys it. So it doesn't matter if it's worth his time or not in that case, cause he's getting enjoyment out of it. So. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's funny cause I actually, you know, it was a hard one for me to do was to get somebody to mow my lawn, mm -hmm. you know, cause I, I'll be honest, I enjoyed it. I, I still, it's enjoy a good way it. to get exercise, to yeah. get some sun. <laughs> it's quiet. Honestly, yeah. I, I do so much thinking. The problem with it was, is I hated so much the build up to it. Like mm -hmm. the, you know, I got to do it this Saturday. And like, I hated that feeling so much that it, it, it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And that's when I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get somebody else to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, but my fiance and I have this discussion a lot because she's a perfectionist and, yeah. and, uh, and, and a lot of things she's like, well, I can just do that. And I'm like, yeah, you can, but you're also a very successful real estate agent who right. can spend time on that instead yeah, exactly. and pay somebody else way less than what you're going to earn spending yeah. time on on, on real estate, but it, I, I think it's a balance. Look, at the end of the day, I'm sure I could go out to eat, for, you know, and, and it would satisfy my hourly rate, but I enjoy cooking. So yeah. you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do it and spend some time because you can't spend all your time 
making right. money. Must be no, honest. no, I'm the same way. Yeah, my I, my girlfriend got me a, a green egg for Christmas. Oh, we have a Komodo Joe. Uh-huh. It is it is my favorite thing oh. every weekend. Oh, let me let me tell you, this podcast could take a real turn right now because <laughs> this is what I've been dedicating my weekends to lately is briskets and pulled pork and all that. So oh, that's awesome. So what? Um, have, have you tried ribs yet? Or I have done ribs. My last ones. Uh, this is the showcase for your podcast right now. <laughs> I followed this recipe to where before I did my last hour on the on the grill, I was able to flip them over and literally just slide the bones out. Oh wow! And put it on to to flavor them without okay. bones for the last hour. And I was like, you know, oh that's like, cool. I was like, oh, I'm badass. Have, like, have you tried the three two one where you do three hours? I, I forget what exactly. I think it's two two one. Oh two two one. Maybe that's yeah, it. Yeah, it was some form of that. Yeah. Is, is what it was, but yeah. Yeah, it's no, we, we could spend hours on this. I have a, we visited a friend of mine who invested in all the different accoutrements that you can put on a green egg uh-huh. and, and he's really mastered it. And, yeah. and my fiance always had a Komodo Joe and I had never cooked on one before uh-huh. and she had never used it either. She just, yeah. she built one of these outdoor kitchens and, yeah. and, and had to have one. And, um, and she watched as he made a pulled pork and she didn't even eat pork at the time. Right. And, but she like was taking notes on everything. Yeah. And, and the next, the next day we got back and she had ordered all of the different things. Yeah. And she was like, do you have a, a a Boston butt any and I was like yeah I got one in the freezer let's you know yeah. let, let's make one and now it's become our rich one we try new things in it all the time yeah. have you done a turkey I've, I've done a turkey I've actually got a, a I do a great turkey on a gas grill or even in the regular okay. oven but um my other one my my next one is I want to do a pizza in one so, so my friend who who taught who taught us this he he swears by the pizza they have yeah. hungry howies down there where you can order the ingredients and they just deliver you the ingredients oh and he, really yeah okay. yeah and he he's got a pizza um brick or whatever they call it yeah that, that, that he that he cooks it on and he swears by it yeah so yeah no i i've really <laughs> enjoyed doing that and I've, I've got all you know there's times i put it on at like eight o'clock at night the night before and oh, let wow. it go through till the like next at day. 200 degrees yeah, or, so yeah usually i get up around 6 6 30 and get the get the egg dialed right into about 230 235 yeah. and then i try to maintain 225 to 250 yeah for eight to ten hours depending yeah. on the meat obviously yeah <laughs> yeah that was that was a fun turn i like yeah. you know <laughs> um so so you talked about intelligent intelligent design engineering how is how is that firm doing and how much time are you spending on that so i do still spend half my time there now i'm working more than 40 hours a week right now but uh they, you know, it's funny, the last recession that happened in 2008, nine-ish, um, when it was just the four of us, I went on a three-day trip somewhere, and when, you know, uh, Lehman Brothers and all that happened came, it, it destroyed the residential real estate mm-hmm. and commercial real estate. I left for three days, I came back, and 80% of our clients had gone out of business, and our receivables were just gone. Wow. I mean... This time, it's been very different. Like, I, I don't want to say we've thrived in it, but there's been no negative impact. We've actually been keeping on our our last three-year trajectory of where we were going with growth. Um, You're good. Right. <laughs> so that was, um, that was nice, you know, and I know a lot of companies suffered. It just, our industry hit bad with one recession, you know, positively impacted in this one. So one thing that's changed over the years is about five years ago, one of my partners has said, hey, I'm going to be 40 in a few years. I don't want to do this the rest of my life. Like, um, 
we need to figure something out. And, and I, I said, well, we've got to put something together that we can get our other partners to, to buy into to where they want to grow it. And over the course of the past five years, we've built it to we are now a 15, 16 person firm. Wow. For what we do for residential structural engineering firm, we're the largest on the East Coast. We believe we're the largest in the U.S. because most of these shops are usually only one, two person companies. I mean, if you find wow. one that has five, it's, it's a rarity. So we've, uh, we've been very successful at, at building that. And we've really spent time in the past few years getting, uh, refining our processes so we can move outside of the Charlotte area. Now we do do work all over the country as it comes to us, but now we're getting ready to go out and, and you know, we're, we're figuring out whether it's a, an expansion of our office, satellite offices, franchising and we're trying to figure out what that platform is going to be so what do you need more boots on the ground out on the edge i'll call it so you want to go to nashville do you do you need a sales team do you need because some 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 companies like investment banks or even increasingly consulting businesses at level it was this way for us right. we really mainly need a sales capability sales and sales engineering because it can really be delivered anywhere if it's a cloud-based service right right, right. Um, how, what's the dynamic and I, I realize that you're still figuring that out right. but <laughs> well we have two sides of our business we have a, a design side which mm -hmm. is if you're building a new house uh the architect the designer the general contractor they're going to need a stamp to mm -hmm. say that this that it's been reviewed by an engineer and is structurally sound that's one side of our business that we can do anywhere all over the world you know so uh, if it's a newer state we haven't done business in, we do have to get our, you know, our, our license for there, but we, we've had no problem applying for licenses as we get new work. On the inspection side, yes, we need engineers on the ground. So mm -hmm. the question is, is how do we get some of our engineers out there on a short-term basis to identify other engineers that could then manage that office and really mm -hmm. build it out from there? Um, on the back side, we have a really good IT and just we, we've leveraged technology in the last two to three years on how we deliver everything we do, whether it's an AutoCAD plan, it, it's a structural inspection letter. Um, it's funny, about a year and a half, two years ago, one of our engineers bought an iPad, you know, and we all had iPads, like personally, but he, he bought a company iPad and was like, I'm going to figure out how to use this to make our work better. And we honestly, we all laughed at him. He'd bring it and he'd be drawing on it and stuff like that. And after about six months, he came back and, and, and showed our engineers like several tools, like what you, what apps you get, um, how you do certain, mm -hmm. you know, PDFs, word documents, all that. And he was able to cut to where he would go out on the field for four days a week do all his inspections and then be in the office all day, just writing letters, shooting emails out to where he's like, now when I pull out of the driveway, I hit the send button and it goes right to the. So that day is now spent with the kids. Or exactly. With the <laughs> yeah. It's either free time, time for more inspections, yep. like whatever you want it to be. And, and we're also very conscious. We, if we find out somebody's working more than 40 hours a week, we pull them back and we Except actually, for you. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't do 40 hours there, but yeah, it, it is one of those things that we're like, if you can't keep up with your workload in 40 hours, then something you're doing needs to change or something we need to give you, you know, needs to change. And we've really spent time on efficiency more than anything. I love that iPad story. It reminds me, I saw, I can't remember his name now, but uh, he's a knight in the UK 
and he was the coach of the rugby team that won the World Cup. Mm -hmm. Only one time in the history of the Rugby World Cup has it been won in the Northern Hemisphere. And this gentleman, Sir Clive is his name, he, <laughs> was, the, he was the coach of that team. And he's, he's a very famous person in the world of sports in, in the UK. I got to see him speak in New York and he was talking about just what did we do to change that rugby team? And the, he did a lot of fascinating things. But, but to me, as, a, as an IT person, what was really interesting was he bought a laptop for every single player on oh. the team. And this was, I want to say, 2001, uh -huh. 2002. So it wasn't, yeah. you know, it, it, laptops weren't necessarily as ubiquitous as now. It probably right. would be an iPad. Right. Now, right. But still, I mean, that would, that would have been an investment. Yeah. It would have. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and it was funny because he showed pictures of these rugby players. And I always think of the incre on the Incredibles when he gets the day job, when he gets the job in the <laughs> office and he's like typing on this little yeah. keyboard. And that's, that's what these guys with these giant ham hands looked like. And, but he said it instantly transformed the way they thought about everything. Cause he also installed this multiple million dollar system of cameras on their practice field mm -hmm. that had software that showed them what they were doing. Right. And then they could use the laptop to analyze that. But they started just looking at finding videos of, of other of, of their like themselves playing yeah. and players were coming to him and saying look look at what's happening here we need to change this or we need to change that and it is once yeah. you get that technology and more importantly the data that comes with that technology into the people's hands they're going to figure out ways to operate better well and not only that like in that example you we all want collaboration right mm -hmm. but we also have to create a space for collaboration and if you use technology right, that can be the space, the way you design your office. You're seeing this in a lot of office designs right now. They're getting rid of offices mm -hmm. and they're making more open workspaces where people can hang out wherever, mm -hmm. but people are coming together. And there are work areas where you need to be secluded, but it is uh, finding that platform that, that gets you all talking and thinking in the same way. Well, ironically, Sir Clive was showing off some software that he had developed with a group that I know in the UK that's collaboration software. And so oh. he was talking about the value of collaboration and how it's always been a big part of his career. Yeah. And I followed up and I'm actually going to have uh, their North American managing director on the on the show in a couple weeks here. Um, but that particular business has taken off because of all the remote collaboration that's happening all over the globe. And they, they in their case, they happen to double down on uh, diversity and inclusiveness as part of that collaboration platform. And then with everything that happened with the Black Lives Matter protest, that has become very top of mind for corporate America. And so that that platform has actually taken off because of the, this collaboration platform yeah. that, that, uh, that he developed while coaching a rugby yeah. team. So. Well, so, so intelligent design engineering, it sounds like is going well. Do, do you think about any acquisitions as an expansion strategy there? That was always something that we looked at at level right. and that we look at at Defiance as well. If we want to be in Dallas, is it easier to send somebody there or can we acquire somebody that's maybe smaller and hasn't achieved the scale yet? You know, I just got off a phone call this morning with, a, with a, someone I worked with in the past and, and telling them what we're trying to accomplish with that. And uh, he said the exact same thing. And, and I, I know he's right. Mm -hmm. The question we have is, who are the business partners we want? And it's weird because, you know, uh, engineers are like a brotherhood. Mm -hmm. So when we first started the company, just the four of us, I always felt like it was three against one because <laughs> I was the odd man out. But now we've, after, you know, 14, 15 years, we've gotten a really good we just understand what each one of us does well and what each one of us doesn't do well. Mm -hmm. And 
the thought of adding one more person into that that's outside of the circle make it makes me uncomfortable to be mm-hmm. fairer, but I'd be willing to do that. I think it makes them ten times more uncomfortable. Okay, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. So I, I want to shift gears um, before I let you out of here and um, talk about your your entrepreneurship series that I was fortunate enough to participate in. Yes. So what what is it called? Influencing entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of started off. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been teaching entrepreneurship for the master's program at Queens University for, man, eight or nine years already. You know, time flies. But a few years back, they asked me to, uh, I've been teaching it in a classroom, and they asked me to move it online. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very apprehensive about it. I, I went to Queens and got my master's there, and I, I can't say enough great things about Queens in the community, uh, in how they they are so good at not just what they do in the classroom, but how they help develop you after you're out of the school. Mm-hmm. Any resource you need, I almost feel like I have a whole consulting firm that I could go to at Queens that would point me in the right direction for any problem I have in the business world. And, and I say this as from the business school aspect. So they asked me to move my class to an online format. And I kind of got real disappointed because it wasn't the experience that I had with Queens and I liked delivering what I got and it's what made me passionate. And I actually originally said, I don't think I'm interested in doing this. And of course, you know, I I love the faculty there. And um, John Bennett was like, well, what would you do different? And I was like, well, I don't want to do what's being done right now online. There's a lot of bad online classes. There's 130 slide PowerPoint presentations Mm -hmm. with voiceover they're, you know, even the best of the best, you know, uh, and they're good, don't get me wrong, but like the Khan Academy, mm-hmm. it's a it's a lecture with a camera set up at the back. Mm-hmm. And, and I really thought like, who could I get to watch me with a camera set up at the back of the room? And I, I thought about it long and hard, and I thought about how my kids would watch something, and I said, you know, uh, I was yelling at one of my sons because they were getting bad grade in history, mm-hmm. and I was like, I got bad grades in history. And, and I really started thinking, I said, I always, I'll be honest, I got C's and D's consistently in history. I hated it in high school. But I also was like, I can watch like an 18 hour documentary on World War II now and just love every bit my, of it. My favorite podcast is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Have you heard I of it? I have not. Oh, he, he's not a historian, but he's just a fan of history. Yeah. He's a history buff, you'd say. And he, he just very does very very good research on various epics in human history. So he has a World War II section. He has a um, the you know Attila the Hun section. He and and he goes through and it's like twelve to twenty four hours of him just like explaining how it works in a podcast series. And I love yeah. those. I I did okay in history, but but I I'm fascinated by by that type of content right. myself as well. Well, and I really thought like why is it the same content but now I like it. Even on my more now, I'm learning more detail than I would have, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, it's just the delivery. How do how do I deal uh, deliver mm-hmm. history, or in this case, entrepreneurship, in a way that's engaging? And I thought, let's create a Netflix series that a class that runs like a Netflix series. Mm-hmm. So I real I mean, I spent a lot of time just building out the functionality of how to get people to watch. You know, I thought like if the countdown says next episode starts in three seconds, <laughs> what will keep you going? And I, you know, of course there was a textbook, there were assignments, but I wanted them all to be based on interactive lectures to some degree to where you felt like you were in the classroom. 
So I went out and I spent my own money, uh, hired a company, and I filmed lectures that had multi-cams. Uh, the whiteboard was all done in professional animation, and it literally played like a lecture. And I took, I took a lecture that would normally take me an hour or two and got it down to 8 to 12 minutes. I knew that any video lecture I created had to be 8 to 12 minutes because if John was in my class, mm -hmm. I wanted him to get to the end and be like, well, the next one's only nine minutes i could probably watch this and, and you know maybe you might binge on mm -hmm. a class and i realized that i could get all of my material across if i was very efficient with it in that time and i have actually presented this to other entrepreneurship professors at universities and i, I get some really bad looks they're like i need three hours and i'm like mm -hmm. it, i said on a three-hour lecture i'm lucky if i have 30 minutes of real knowledge. Sure. I said, I know the other two and a half is to reinforce it, but really they, the 30 minutes is probably stretching it, yep. you know? And, and, and I, I even said to the room, I said, I challenge the room if you really all have yeah. <laughs> that much knowledge to share. Uh, but reinforcing it is extremely important. So I figured let's build the lectures out that way. But one of the highest rated things in my classes ever was in person. If I brought an entrepreneur like you, a restaurant owner or any type of business owner that had succeeded or even failed. But but it's not all small business oh. entrepreneurs like myself and, and others. You've got some big names on there. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. I have minority owned businesses. Mm -hmm. I have non-for-profits. People forget those are run just like businesses, mm -hmm. but they come with their own challenges. Uh, women led companies. I mean, like I wanted to make sure uh, entrepreneurship was, um, uh, in the classroom was was very diverse in and showed all aspects i didn't want it to be 10 you know every speaker was a 33 year old white kid who came up with a new app you know because yeah. really if you go out on the podcast system that's all you find right now yep. and uh not to say they're not great business leaders but yeah. business leaders comes in all absolutely sizes uh, shapes and forms so i thought how do i do this online and i turned it into an interview series i said i want this to look like you were on dateline mm -hmm. or on some sort of uh, or 2020 or some kind of show where you're getting interviewed and uh i got in my first 10 uh entrepreneurs and it came out so good that i said let's add a little more post-production on it because these aren't my stories these are everybody's stories and any entrepreneur i've ever dealt with you know they don't have secrets they're mm -hmm. like i'm gonna tell you my whole story make it available for everybody I, I came on your show and we talked about my partners kicking me out of my old company level right? yeah like it's yeah. and it's <laughs> and it's that kind of things that's real like yeah. do you know any entrepreneurship textbook if you even took an entrepreneurship class because when i was going through school they didn't exist yeah. um talk about things like that i mean those are real you know how do you know if you have the right business partner what do you do when it goes bad? What do you do when it's your family? Yeah. I mean, all of those different aspects. So as those stories started coming in, I knew I could reinforce a 10 minute lecture with real world business cases. And I said, after my students are done with them, I'm releasing them, like let, let the whole world have them. And um, we just finished filming our third season. It'll come out, you know, in, in probably another six weeks or so. But it just and you work with Spherical Media. I work with guys, Spherical correct? Media. Shout oh. out to Spherical Media. Yes. I was on their Hive Mind podcast. Had yeah. a great time on it. Yeah, they uh, Tim and Jared are great guys. Just and I, another shout out. They just celebrated ten years. I saw that. And, That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, they uh, and Jeff just appeared on their podcast. Yes. Yeah. I know. It's it, 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 we're kind of creating our own bubble, <laughs> but yeah, it's. Uh, 
But yeah, no, they came in and they make an effort every time. They're just such great storytellers. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna tell you what they've done really well. Number one, they do great production. They've also made me better. Mm -hmm. they, they've made me a better interviewer. Uh, they've made this more than just a class project for me. They've made this into something really special. And now on the third season, they've made it even better. Like I really can't wait for everybody to see these, not just my students. I'm excited to see them. It, it was, it was just a, a really great experience. And it could have just been an interview that went anywhere, but every, even the personal stories, like something like, you know, with your partners, mm -hmm. it always was able to relate to, you know, what, drives entrepreneurs mm -hmm. what challenges them what kind of makes you feel defeated we've had a, we had a few this season that really told us they shared some really deep personal traumatic events that shaped their entire life mm -hmm. and how they thought it was over and how they came out the other side you know and it was really the defining moment that made them 10 times better than they ever would be that's great so so obviously you did this to teach students you've opened it up to the world what surprised you that you've learned in this process I've, it's, I've, you know, it's weird. I, what I've learned a lot is uh, something I had to learn the hard way. When I first started my first business, other entrepreneurs were like, I'll, I need to meet with you and hear what you're doing. And I'm going to tell you who to talk to and what you need. And it made me uncomfortable. I really thought like, oh my gosh, what are they trying to sell me? Or they want this. And they really just wanted to help. And oddly enough, what's it hasn't surprised me, but makes me happy is a lot of the people that I've ended up interviewing end up somehow because of that, getting connected to one another and end up doing something with, you know, their company. And it, it, I really like seeing that collaboration. I, I'm nodding because nothing makes me happier than when, when that happens. I, I mentioned my suit guy, he's making um, tuxes for my, for my wedding. And uh, I was talking to him and he, he did my podcast and he said, John, you know, I just had a guy come in and buy a suit and I asked him where, where he heard about me and he said on your podcast. Yeah. And it's like, there's so many of those uh, that, that, that you hear about and that's that's the real power of the, these type of, of platforms. It really sure. is, yeah. So it's, uh, I've really enjoyed that. I have, uh, putting the, together the, um, the show, it's, uh, entrepreneurs love to share their stories and stuff. It, it, I, it's, it's funny when I reach out to some early entrepreneurs because mm -hmm. I love them to be represented. How many, did you have Desmond Wiggins? I on? did. Yes. Yeah, so I, I just, um, got him scheduled and I'm, I'm looking forward. He's actually doing great. I don't know if you've talked to him, but I was oh. worried about him going into COVID cause he, right. he built a business based on people being in conventions. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, but he's, he's, he's selling units. He's actually got one in seventh street market. Now okay. the, the kiosk is deployed. He's got, uh, three or four in a, in a couple of bottle cap group restaurants. So, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing. I mean, a great guest, like, yep. like somebody that I, you know, he was very early on when we spoke to him or just was getting mm -hmm. off the ground back at the, you know, mid to end of 2019 called him. He said, you tell me the day and time I'll be there. Mm -hmm. I've had people that are right at his same time. And they're like, eh, I don't know, like I'm going to the movies that day. And you're like, <laughs> you know, and, and I'll be honest, I say yes to everything. I'm so yeah. easy. If you find access to my calendar and put a calendar invite on there, I show up for it. I, I try to be the same way because you yeah. never know where the opportunities come right. from, right? Yeah. yeah. I, and I, I've never liked networking. I, I'll never forget 15 years ago, I was going to a networking event uh, 
it may be a little less than 15 years ago, but we were trying to raise capital for a, a medical device company. And I remember there was this big networking event. It was, it was a CFO forum. It was gonna be a pretty big event. And the last thing I wanted to do, honestly, was be around a bunch of CFOs. I just <laughs> was, I was, I, I had my clothes on and I, my shoe was on my foot. And I literally was like, I'm gonna take the shoe off and just not go like I, I you know I don't want to wear my suit and all that and I was like you know what this is the last one I'm going to go to I put my suit on went there found our biggest investor found a board member oh, like wow. it was one of those things that I, I it was so impactful that I was like you always got to put your shoe on you yeah. always you always have to keep going and and there's things I still dread and those are the ones that usually are the most fruitful yeah, now, I've heard, I don't know if you know Igor Jablikov. Mm -mm. He founded Yap, which he sold yeah. to Amazon a while, a long time ago, and it became Alexa. And okay. he's got a new business called Prion, and I, I invested in it, but I also had him on the podcast, and he talked about, with Yap, they were running out of money, they were getting ready to raise more money, contemplating layoffs, I mean, they, it, and, and, and they went to a conference, and, and he went to a conference that cost him money. He was like, I didn't know what it was gonna be for me, and he gets approached by gentlemen in suits who um, said, do you have patents? And he said, yes, I do. And that turned out, he didn't know, but it turned out to be Amazon and led to this massive acquisition and became Alexa. Yeah. And he, he, he lectures a lot about it now. Well, and now he's busy with the new business. But in between the two businesses, you, you, he, he would talk a lot about the nonlinearity of the startup journey. And yeah. it's you have to be out there. You have to be in front of people because you don't know where that next it's not a linear th progression that just happens. There are events that happen where it just changes things. Yeah. And not only that, you got to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. if, if you have access to a resource that could help somebody else, you've got to put it out there immediately. It yep. is, um, and, and not for personal gain. No, exactly. I, it is, uh, when I, when I'm able to connect people that end up doing work together, it, it makes me just as happy as if I was doing work with them. Yep. Well, and it, and it does pay you back eventually. And and that's the thing, I think. One of the most off-putting things to me as I was coming up along the entrepreneurial journey was I'd find people that I wanted to bring on as advisors. And the, the, there were a couple who just, what's in it for me? And they yeah. wanted to define a number of stock options or a pay. And it's like, yeah. I just want to ask you a couple questions. Like right. may, maybe you give me some value and then I give you some yeah. some value. And I, and I try to keep that in mind when I talk. And people will come to me and say, what do you want in order to do this advisory work? And because of that experience, I say, look, let's have the first 10 conversations are free. Maybe right. you buy me coffee yeah. <laughs> no, or a beer. It, yeah. yeah. It, it, my, I have the same attitude. Even with people I bring on as clients, I'm like, listen, I'll come. I'll yep. meet with you. I'll tell you exactly what you need to do. Um, we'll see where it goes. But um, if it's something that you truly do need to bring me on board, there will be a point that you're like, okay, I want to pay you to come be here. Yeah, now and let's put a dollar value yeah, on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but until then, we don't even know. Right. right? Yeah. Right. No, that, that's interesting. So you, you mentioned to me earlier that you've started putting this content, which you were distributing, I take it through Queens University or was I, it I actually put it. I, you I recently put it on the podcast. Right? I did. I actually, uh, I always just did it through my YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, uh, it was, it's all my content. Mm -hmm. And then I, the stories were just playing so well that we've taken all the audio and made them available as a podcast. That's great. Well, I will, I will link to that as well. Yeah. 
So I, and just as a, a quick plug, the way to find out about my book, about the series, the mm -hmm. podcast, everything, go to casmerward.com. And that's probably too much Casmer Ward for everybody, <laughs> but it's at least one central location. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that in there as well. Well, look, Kaz, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I appreciate you having me on 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 your uh, oh. on your series. It, it was a lot of fun. I, I learned a lot about myself just in talking to you, and I'm sure that a lot of your guests do as well. Oh, I, I, your class, your your interview, it was nice because it was kind of the next like it was almost like a master class of itself <laughs> because it was it was a lot of concepts that don't get covered. And go above that, you know, it talked about the acquisition, it talked about the pain points from yep. there. And uh, it was one of my favorites. So I'm so glad that I was able to return the favor. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I, I look forward to that third season. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers.